Deezer Originals. Hello, I'm Joey Barton, and welcome to The Edge, my brand new podcast series for Deezer Originals. Now, most of you will know me from the football pitch, and maybe occasionally from the headlines too. But I also consider myself many things, a pundit, a father, a bit of a thinker. Over the past few months, I've found myself away from sport, banned from the game of love, and I've been using my time to explore something I've always been interested in, the mindset and the psychology of the game. To have the edge, as I would call it. Now, to me, the idea of the edge can mean a lot of things. Being on the edge of success, the edge of failure, the edge of change... But on the edge, I feel that's where you truly find out about yourself. It's where you truly grow and prosper as an individual. And on this show, I want to explore that. To speak with the people I look up to in the worlds of performance, sport, music, politics and beyond. And to find out what living on the edge really means to them. On this week's podcast, we're in Old Trafford to speak to a man who spent his entire playing career at this ground. A one-club man and one of the most decorated players in the English game. He's won eight Premier League titles, two Champions Leagues, and represented his country at three European Championships and two World Cups. He is, of course, Gary Neville. Now, I've obviously played for many years in direct competition against Gary, obviously being at City, Gary at United, and then on to the other clubs that I played for. And I've always found him a really tough competitor. You know, he was arguably one of the best right-backs in the world at a, at a stage in time, certainly when Manchester United were winning the, the treble and dominating the European football scene. But I've always been intrigued by his business brain. You know, he's always seemed to have a lot more about him than being just a footballer. And I think he started to showcase that in his life after football. After hanging up his boots in 2011, Gary has gone on to be assistant manager for England, a co-owner of Salford City, head coach of Valencia and one of the nation's favourite pundits on Sky's Monday Night Football programme. Gary's a family man, and he also is a businessman, so I wanted to speak to him about what it takes to win both on and off the field. I spoke to Gary about the glory days under Sir Alex Ferguson at United, dealing with the criticism as a player and as a pundit, and also his short-lived time as a manager of Valencia. So let's begin On the Edge with Gary Neville. So today for the Edge podcast, joined by uh, Britain's favourite football pundit, Gary Neville. I think being a huge factor in changing the way certainly young people and, and the modern audience view football. thought the Monday night show at the, for a long period was compulsive viewing. You know, even myself, I was playing at the time, mm-hmm. rush home on a Monday night to make sure you're in the house to watch us tactically deconstruct what had happened at the weekend, which is rare, you know, the fact that yeah. it had that impact. So... Serial winner, obviously 400 plus appearances for Man United, 85 England caps, eight Premier League winning medals, which is incredible. Must be incredibly yeah. proud to look back, knowing how hard it is to win that league. Three FA Cups, two League Cups, two Champions Leagues. I mean, consistently winning for a long, long period of the time. So great to have you on the podcast. Yeah. And can you talk to me about winning and what winning means for you? I think winning when I was playing... I suppose if you look at it in sort of like a weekly, it was always the next match, just win the next match. But always at the start of the season was we've got to win the league. We've got to win the league. Um, winning the Youth Cup in 92, I know a lot, I know a lot's made about sort of us coming through, but that winning that Youth Cup, 
give us the confidence to then think we could do anything. I genuinely believe that. So when we came into the first team, we were, we'd already won the Youth Cup, we won the A-team league twice, we won the Reserve Team League, I think for the first time in 30 years. We won the Milk Cup in Ireland, which is a big youth tournament. The under I got six- beat in the final, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we won, that, we won that under-16s, beat Hearts in the final. So every tournament at youth level, we won the England under-18s, the four or five lads, me, Butty, Chris Casper, Scholes, they were in the youth squad for the England under 18. So we basically came into the first team already winning. All right. And that's sometimes good fortune because we were surrounded by players in our youth team that made us win. But winning for me, it had to happen. It had to happen. I was it was normal. Club. It was normal yeah. because you're at United under Sir Alex Ferguson. And once they'd won the league, which they already had by the time we got into the first team, he wasn't stopping. All right. He wasn't stopping. He wasn't, he wasn't stopping until he caught Liverpool up. He wasn't stopping until he become the most successful club in the country. Uh, I know that obviously is challenged by the fact that Liverpool have won more European Cups, but just from a league point of view. And so we never knew anything else. It was what we knew from sort of 16 right the way through to 35. And even the people we were surrounded by, you think about Nobby Styles was our youth team coach, World Cup winner, European Cup winner. Brian Kidd was our was the assistant youth team coach, but then went up to assistant manager. Obviously yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. yeah, they were all like, even Eric Harrison, who was from Halifax, he was an aggressive, nasty, horrible person who didn't like to lose a tackle, let alone sort of lose a football match. So I say horrible because he was a great man and he did great things for us. But in terms of his sort of his spirit in a football pitch, and we knew, were never surrounded by anything else. And that was the standard. And Sir Alex was about working hard and achieving your standard. Don't drop your standard. And belief, did he give you his belief? Or did belief come from or, the fact that you play for Man United or the fact that... You won yeah. so much. Belief came from winning, but also came... We lost belief, though, at times. Mm. Individually, collectively, you lose belief, you lose confidence, but he always gave us belief. You know, often he'd say, where's the risk in your play? Where's, you know, you take risks, mm. particularly in the final third, take risks. And he was he encouraged you to sort of beat a man. So always there was this thing, go and beat a man. Kiddo was brilliant at that. You know, Brian Kidd would always say, go and beat a man one-on-one. You know, the idea that yeah. you could, you know, and... Uh, we used to do one-on-ones in training all the time. And I don't think we, I don't, I, mean, I don't know that they're done anymore. You know, literally where you sort of have a player sort of in the centre circle, a defender at the edge of the box, the defender kicks the ball up to the strike, up to the striker or the midfielder. And you just take one one-on-one with the goalkeeper behind you. And it was horrible. When I think back now and you think you've got Ryan Giggs running at you or you might be Roy Keane running at you. And you think, everyone's watching you. So it's a one-on-one where everyone's watching. You can imagine it's not particularly the most pleasant thing in the world, but Kiddo did them all the time. So it's almost like football's version of like fight club, isn't it? Yeah. Throwing you in and throwing you into the lion. And even in training, that competitive spirit of sort of like, you've got to beat him, Mm. he's got to beat you, was in there every single day. And I think we were blessed. And to be fair, we came into a first team with Bruce, Pallister, Schmeichel, Keane, Robson, Ince, Hughes, Cantona. Giggs was already in there. Dennis Irwin, I mean, you probably got seven or eight what would be seen as big leaders, big yeah. characters there that were massive players in the Premier League, massive players in British football. And we came into that and so we're exposed to it for yeah. two or three years, travelling with them, then breaking into the team with them. So we were always surrounded by people who just gave their all all the time, who didn't drop the standard. A bad pass is a crime, let alone a, res- a bad result. Accountability. You drive you on. I remember speaking with obviously because Pete came to yeah. Peter Schmeichel came to City mm. later on, and remember having many conversations with him as a young player. I was like eighteen on the yeah. on the cusp of pushing into the first team squad, and I, met, I wrote about it in my book. I remember being taken by his mindset. Mm. I mean, I can imagine 
can be difficult as mindset at times. At times, the fact that he never ever believed he'd made a mistake, never ever thought no, he was no, wrong, no. so on and so forth. But then the realization of, I mean, he was telling me how he'd never had a bad game. He'd made one or two mistakes, <laughs> but he, and he, you know, when someone's talking to you and but you're yeah. like, he actually believes this. There was no. I didn't think he was just saying it for like a soundbite. Peter was horrible to me when I broke into the Can team. Can imagine, yeah. He was, he was just probably more to me than anybody. He saw, they had a back four of Parker, Irwin, Bruce and Palace. It was a great back four for about three or four years. It won leagues, won the double. And I was breaking into it. And he told me on a Christmas day out about three, four years after I broke in, he said, I genuinely didn't think you were good enough and I thought you were a risk to us winning the league and conceding goals. I thought you'd make mistakes. I didn't think you were good enough. He used to come out, so we used to crossing practice at the end of the training. He used to stand on the penalty spot and catch my cross and tell me that they were crap. And you know something? Every time a ball went in the back of his net in training, he was annoyed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he used to more do that than annoyed. He cleared them out before yeah, training Yeah, he, he could have a ball in his net. And basically, any time a goal went in training, he'd have a... He'd, batter a defender if they made a mistake in training so the standard every single day was it wasn't a case of just turning up Saturday you can imagine it was constant and they were all like that mm. you know Brucey was like that Keane was like that Ince was like that Sparky was like that you can imagine them you know you know the character you know yeah. them you've played against yeah. them or you've seen them on, as managers you know what they're like and they were like that in training every single day but then so was Scalzi so was Giggsy, so were we, as we carried on, you know what I mean? We then became, so we carried those standards on in the dressing room, but it was set by Sir Alex. Yeah. You know, he, he just, and yeah, he didn't take training. You know, the, the coaches always took the training, but he was there watching. Yeah, he was that, well, I, I, I was at Wales Rugby Union yesterday and kind of seeing that in, in motion. So you have Warren Gatland, who's the head coach, yeah. and you've got Sean Edwards, Rob Howley, and, and the other coaches underneath him, and, and Gatland kind of stays outside of it. Yeah. And a few people who I'd spoke to, so obviously I played with Butty and that at Newcastle. I used to always say, you know, Alan Smith would say, what's you know, what's the yeah. the Fergie? And he said he had a a unique sense of timing for the right thing to say or a G up here yeah. or a smack on someone's arse or yeah. an arm around the shoulder. Yeah. He said his timing was impeccable. And they say the same thing about Gatland. Yeah. Very softly spoken man. Doesn't have the same kind of no. menace that Alex yeah. Ferguson seemed to have. But... With great managers, the one thing I'm, I'm getting, obviously I had Clive, Sir Clive Woodward on the podcast, one thing you're getting through them is about the sense of, firstly, they delegate to, mm. to whether it's the players, the, it sounds like a, in that Man yeah. United side, players were given great responsibility for the standards. Yeah. And then the coaches have a great responsibility yeah. and then the manager who oversees everything, but also gives everybody else the confidence yeah. that, hey, if this goes wrong, I'm, I've got your backs. Yeah. So to see... To, I mean, you know, when, when you think about it, for you, you don't know anything else. That's completely no. normal. I mean, I'm fortunate. I've worked for a load of I, bad managers. As well as managers. <laughs> no, but I think that's a problem in your post career, particularly if you're thinking of going to coaching, because all you've ever seen is the what I would call excellence at the highest levels of just winning, 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 and then you you go into say, for instance, even when we tra even when we went away with England, mm. uh, when we were playing, and the standard of I won't say the standard of the quality. I won't say the quality drop because sometimes with England we had great players, great mm. teams. But the training intensity was different. The, the culture. Yeah, the culture was different. The mentality was different. Um, you go of, from of an players. environment where it's a group of serial winners, yeah. on best players in the world at the yeah. time. You just had many of, of them in your dressing room, probably best attitudes yeah. towards football in the world. And then you go into a, an England yeah. camp where it's talent, but not. And when I look back now, it was quite obvious why we didn't win with England because I knew what winning looked like mm. with United and then you come away with England and if four or five of your players aren't at the same level, you've, you're done really in a team. You, you, I don't mean level of ability, I mean level of application, mm. 
mentality, preparedness, just all those things that you know you need to win. And that's why you don't win with England. You can talk about sometimes it's not we haven't got the ability. So it's not just about well, you need all the ability and then you need all the other components yeah. to win, don't you? It's not just about having as much ability. You need no. the culture. There, you need there are a couple of times when we could have won. In 2004 and 96, we could have won. I think we were good enough to win. The talent was there, I mean. I don't, the mentality probably is where we fell short. Well, we did because we lost on penalties twice. Hmm. And the penalties are about mentality. They are a, it's a skill, but it's also mentality. It's about being able to take those big moments and make them go your way. And we United, we made big moments go our way, but with England, just couldn't do it. Well, yeah. United, you had that kind of, you, you're behind it so many times in the last 10 yeah. minutes and that was actually the time you were the most vulnerable and like the opposition, it, as an opposition I, player. I get asked a lot in terms of what, you know, what's, you know, Alex Ferguson team talks or what, he never once did a team talk where he didn't refer to hard work and he never once did a team talk where he didn't refer to making sure he didn't give in and they're the only two things that I think he constantly ever asked of us that we worked as hard as we possibly could and we never gave in. Yeah. But if you think about, if you carry those two characteristics through your life, that is winning because that's all you can do. <laughs> it's actually, that's, all, that's the only yeah. thing you're actually in yeah. control of in your life is actually hard work, working as hard as you possibly can and doing the best you can and actually not giving in when it doesn't go your way. So actually, if you, they're the two things that you can control. You want players to just give their all. And when I'm doing the punditry, if I'm critical of a tactic or a, a player's mistake, that's not a problem, I don't think, because I think that's fine. I think that if I'm critical of their application, let's say, for instance, the West Ham players in the last few weeks, to me, that's, that's, that's the worst that. That's the worst when there's no application or there's lack of care. And that's, to me, unforgivable. I think that's when you really have to plough into players because I think Huddersfield on Sunday against Manchester City that I'm going to do, I know Huddersfield more than likely going to get beat but I know they won't be wanted. Mm. They won't be left wanting for, for, for effort or for application or desire. They'll have cared about the performance. They'll love wearing that shirt. I know that's going to happen. So actually you'll go easy on them because they're playing against a good team. But when I'm going watching West Ham this Friday against Leicester, I'm not sure what I'm going to see. I know if Leicester score, a few of them will give in. Mm. A few of them won't be giving their all. A few of them won't care as much as they should. And that's the that, that to me is coming back to sort of over there. I think Sir Alex, all he ever said was, you know, you've set your standard, work hard, don't give in. That's it. And But that 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 and that's your benchmark. So so yeah. obviously being in on the other side of that, playing for man managers or, or, or in environments where you see I, I call them effort errors, you know what I mean? So I was talking to a guy from Saracens and he said their culture shifted when the coaches came in and said, Look, we alone any skills error, that's giving away a pass, making yeah. a mistake, losing a man. But we'll, we, we'll own that. That's yeah. on the coaches. But what we won't forgive is effort errors. So yeah. getting back the other side of the ball, yeah. running hard to get uh, a, a press or, or or getting a tackle in, you know, not pulling yeah. out. We, we can't forgive that. So we they, they said their culture flipped on that. So basically yeah. what you're talking about is you you don't like, and I'm with you, people who don't tr- try. So the, like, yeah. you know, we, we know many players, no point naming them by name, but... No. You know, they hide behind. Oh, he's tal- He's mega talented. He's yeah. really talented, and and that kind of negates the fact that yeah. he doesn't put it in. And obviously, you know, players like yourself, players who you know you've got to look and say absolutely maximised. Yeah. You know, for you to play, which you yeah. read through your list of honours in in them great teams, if you were cutting any corners at Man yeah. United, they go and sign the best right back yeah. in the world. Yeah, they would. So, uh, that, that, that's a, that's and does that fear keep drive you? Did you need that? What I would say, sometimes you can mistake 
lacking in confidence and belief and being unhappy in your own personal life for sometimes a lack of effort. So I was lucky that I was at the club I wanted to play at, winning trophies, the club I'd supported as a kid. So I sometimes do have some sympathy when, sometimes in punditry you can call people out, but then you might find out a week later they've got something going on behind the scenes that you think, oh, wish I'd have held off him a little mm. bit, or wish I'd been a bit more kind. You know, the idea of having to settle into a new place, you know, your family are having to move, things like that are a factor and they can be an impact. I always remember the first ever away game with England was in Norway and Brian Woolnow, he's no longer with us, was the, was the main powerful journalist for the Sun. And I remember him... I remember him, uh, massive head. Yeah. <laughs> Big massive head, didn't he? Yeah. Four out of ten, nervous, nervous wreck and totally out of his depth. That was my first England ever away game. But you know, I played quite well. Yeah. And Terry Venables rang me two days later and he'd seen it and rang me up and said, look, you know, I wanted to let you know, don't let it affect you and stuff like that. And I was okay. I, I wasn't that bad with it. Um, but that's why Sir Alex always used to say, I always used to send my players away with England and they always come back a mess. Mm. You know, and that, that, was a, that was a genuine thought in Old Trafford at times that, you know, you just basically send players all... Ru- all- you're going into a culture that's not as yeah. strong, so you're going no. to be softened by it. And, and, and then- so Valencia didn't, didn't affect me when I came back in the sense that I went straight back on television, straight back into my businesses, straight back into my life, didn't break stride and just thought, I'm going to get on with it. But you prioritise as well, don't you? Because you go, well, it's actually, no no one's died. No. You know, it, it, it's sport, it's, yeah. it's a hobby at the end of the day. I lost some know? football matches. Yeah. That, that's the, people say, you know, you know, if losing some football matches doesn't give me, the, it, it doesn't render useless my last 15, 20 years of understanding football, mm. playing football, learning about football, watching football. All of a sudden I've lost whatever it was, 15 football matches in Valencia and all of a sudden you can't talk about football anymore. It, it, it is ridiculous. But you sense that ultimately, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, how can you criticise so-and-so? Well, well I've, heard, I've, I've heard managers call you out on it. I've heard like... I, I like it when you do that. Concert, uh, I like it I don't know. Do I don't know whether Poulos's was... He, he clearly, I don't know if, whether it was because I was on radio, but he said something where he's not aiming at the radio boys, he was aiming at the TV boys. It can't have been about me. I mean, I've, I've, not even, I've not even done West Brom this well, season. Yeah, I didn't know whether it was... Well, I just Probably seen Cara, TV and Cara, thought it, it obviously you must have said something. No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't but I remember Klopp had a, had a bite. Yeah, Klopp did. I think uh, Pep did last year. I, I, I don't, this modern phenomenon of managers taking on pundits, mm. I have no idea why they think that it's a good idea. Because ultimately, why would you even acknowledge a pundit you validate them, don't you? You validate them. Yeah. Working on the theory that when you're playing, what can a pundit say that can help or hinder you? Nothing really. Mm-hmm. Not, not to make you play better the morning after. Well, if you don't know what they're talking about, you shouldn't be in the job. So the relative is, why would you even let it impact you? And I think managers now are getting caught up on what people say. And the reason I think... He's getting, having a go with him, isn't it, Mourinho? Yeah. The reason I think they're getting caught up is, I think, to be fair, because of the analysis now and the camera angles we've got, they can't hide. We're actually coming out with a lot of things that they don't and want us to see. And you've got all their data as all well. All their data, yeah. all their stats, all their tactics, all their set-piece moves, all their bird's-eye-view cameras that means we can spot everything they can spot. And what we say is probably true. Hmm. 99% of what goes now, why it comes out of pundit's mouth on analytical programmes, hmm. on match of the day or... Monday night football. Or talk or, sport or, on a Saturday. If, if, if it's analysing football, <laughs> most of the point, they've got the cameras, they've got the angles, it's true. Yeah. Because we can all see it. Well, the fan, it's objective, the fan can isn't see it? it? You can't escape it. No. It's, not, it's no think, longer subjective. Someone's listened to a radio it, commentary and gone, did that, did that It's needling them a little bit because probably it's a little bit too close to the bone of what they see as being overstepping the mark into the coaching. And I think pundits are coaches without teams. Pundits should be coaches without teams. They, if you're analysing a game, you should analyse it as a coach would, 
not necessarily communicate it in the same way because you communicate it to a different audience. So you'd be more yeah. critical to the public watching than you would be to into a dressing room communicating it. But you're communicating it as, as you see it as a, as a coach. And do you think, it, I think the book stops with the manager. So unless it's the effort stuff we were talking about, effort errors where yeah. people aren't trying, then you can't escape the fact that it's that player's responsibility. But when I think when it comes to tactics and strategy, and that is ultimately... The, the, why the results or yeah. why the, the performance doesn't go well I always tend to think well the manager should be criticised you know it's, he's the head chef mm. if the sous chef doesn't do something correctly then yeah. it's the head chef's job yeah. to make sure that's done I agree if, if, the, if the sous chef doesn't turn up then you can't blame the head chef because he hasn't showed up for work I, I completely agree your head chef sits, stands at the front on pass every dish goes past him if he's let it go past him and he's not checked it and it's cold or it's not cooked correctly it's the head chef's fault Who's the biggest influence on you personally and professionally? Obviously, my dad growing up and my mum and dad growing up, but I would say Sir Alex, definitely. It's difficult to pick one, you know. Yeah, no, it is. Sir yeah. Alex, because ultimately, the book stops with him. Mm. He, I, I had an unbelievable youth team coach, uh, Eric Harrison, Brian Kidd, Nobby Styles. I, I can't thank them enough. But if the guy at the top doesn't say, I'm bringing that player into my first team, and he doesn't sell all those experienced players that he did... And believe in you. And believe in us, then ultimately it's all, it all falls through. So yeah. there are great youth team coaches now at clubs, but the first team manager doesn't believe in you, you're done. So ultimately it has to be Sir Alex. Were, if your, I parents, the ultimate. were your parents, obviously in sports, obviously yeah. you said your mum played and your dad was yeah. involved in football. Were they, were they pushy in terms of, or were they like, just go and be whatever you no, want to be? No, I, I, I mean, look, my dad would say, you've played well today, you've not played well today, but never like, you know, you wouldn't, no, wouldn't get no, you in the back of the car no, and do Monday night like football no. on your... Uh, no, uh, there's nothing like that, you know, in terms of... You know, what was up with you today? It was one of them. What was up with you today? Or did well today, son, you know what? It was it was, it was was simple as that. Yeah. It wasn't anything other than that. And, and football was the only sport for you? Cricket or football, but and football definitely was priority. Always way, way ahead of cricket. All right. The class of 92, something I, yeah. I don't think we'll ever see in this country again. Obviously, yourself... Uh, gigs, Beckham, Scholes. I mean, yeah. getting in the first team at the same time. Do you ever sit? I mean, for you, that's normal. Like you sit yeah. and go, "Well, that's just what happened to us." Because I think yeah. we had a good youth set up at Man City, like Sean Roy Phillips, Sturridge, Mika Richards, yeah. Stephen Ireland. But there's a load that came yeah. through, but not no like world class, established, winning internationals. I go, "Well, that was our youth team. It was normal. We had a yeah. good youth team." For, for you, firstly. Did you think that was normal at the time or did you know you were part of an exceptional group? Probably not at the time. No, not when you joined, no. But I think there was, there was an article that Brian Robson, the manager did with the Times when we were like 17, 18, where they both said, if these don't come through and make it into the first team, then we might as well all pack in. And that then gave us the ultimate belief to think, well, there must be something in this group. And then we started just winning. We won the Youth Cup for the first time in 30 years for the club, Reserve Team League, first time in 30 years. The England under-18s, I think it might have been the first time the country had ever won the England youth. So we, we started to realise we were achieving more than what previous people had done. But then only when you get contracts and you play for the first team that you really believe it. And I think when you win your first league and you think, right, there's no stopping us now. That was the thing. You win your first league. I, I go back to the Youth Cup. Was it big. validates. It validates everything. You think, ev- we can win a league. Believe, yeah. We can win a league. So so on the flip side of that, I'm looking at that going, like, the question inevitably arises, can anybody ever do that again in the current I, climate? And you know, obviously you've been involved in the England setups and seeing the, the, the I, strategy. Winning's always been important, but it seems now to be. You get medals just for competing now, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I think Liverpool and United are the type of clubs that could achieve great things with their youth setup. So could City. But 
I'd love to see I'd love to see a quotas brought in. I'd love to see that three youth team players have to be part of the 18-man squad every week. So they have to have come through and maybe been at the club since the age of 15, 16. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to be local lads. Yeah. They could be international players who've been brought in at the age of 14, it, it, it 15, to, 16. They have to show that pathway. They have to show that pathway to the first team. I think three out of 18 is not too much to ask. And that might mean they're on the bench to start with, but to have three or four players in your squad of 18 out of your academy mm. isn't too much to ask, I don't think. And to be fair, it's something I think should be introduced, but whether it is or not, I'm not sure. Yeah, because well, clearly we've got the be. talent, we've got to get the pathways for them. And then on the flip side of that, obviously the coaching side, you went into coaching. My thing is, that I think if we create a great culture mm. of coaches and players, what you had at United in terms of the dressing yeah. room, you have leaders, you had the leader at the top, yeah. leaders in the dressing room, and then the cycle changes. So you go from following yeah. as a young player to becoming a leader who sets the tone yeah. for mm. players who then go on to be leaders. So you look at like Cristiano Ronaldo now, he's yeah. he's he's learned via your Man United leadership yeah. model and he's taking that on to mm. Real Madrid and, and is a leader mm. in his own right there. So from from that respect in terms of from a coaching, do you think there should be opportunities for British coaches, would you like to see, obviously, you being a British coach yourself? Yeah, I'd like, of course, I'd like to see opportunities. I, I, I think we'll see less and less players finishing football careers and going into coaching and management. I think you'll always, the, the, the best coaches and managers probably now and maybe in the future will be the ones who retain that desire to still be involved in the game and only think about the game. I think you ha that to me to be a coach, and it's probably arrogance in some ways for me to think I could even be a coach at any level, to be fair, because of the fact that I had all my businesses. I was in the media and punditry. I was doing articles for the Telegraph and others. And all of a sudden, I'm a coach with England. And then, to be fair, I had turned down jobs in England as a coach. But then because, obviously, my business partner owned Valencia, I went over there. But why should I be a successful coach? Every The successful coaches that I know, they only think about every second of every day, the next training session, the next competitive edge they can get over an opponent they're watching videos yeah. 10 times a day of everything yeah. they're obsessed the life, yeah. yeah they consumes the whole life and coaching never consumed my whole life when I finished playing football so how can you succeed at something but it did when you played it did but I broke my own rule really taking the job in Valencia I broke my own rule because I'd planned everything I prepared for everything and I'm, I, I like to think that ultimately I, I make sensible decisions but actually, when you look at coaches, the best coaches, they have to be obsessed. They have to be, like I say, consume every element of what they're doing with it. So the best coaches are the ones who really think about it every second of every day. And I'm not sure that the top level English football players, British football players, when they finish, will look at coaching and think, right, I'm going to give exactly the same level of mm. detail, attention, work rate as I did as a young 14-year-old football player or 13-year-old football player. Because how can you achieve at something if you don't give that same level yeah, of application I, I agree with you. so I think that's the problem we've got now is that I think that partly because I think there are other pathways and partly because I think when people have got to 35 and they've finished it's almost like the fight's over the fight's over how many boxers go then on to be a boxing coach mm. your boxing coaches usually have come from a sort of gritty gym somewhere mm. that have worked their way maybe up maybe not been the best boxer. No, maybe not been the best but they've, they've learned over the years how to coach it's a completely different talent and I think there's a real problem for British coaches. Just perception of them is that, and a perception abroad is a disaster. I mean, you were obviously abroad. I was in Spain. The perception of British football coaching is not good. It isn't good. Hmm. Um, there's no two ways about that. And there's no, the perception of the Premier League is fantastic in terms of the entertainment side, but they also think we're stupid because we pay too much money. 
pay too much fees. Yeah, we're like the the, the lotto lot. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Like, what are they doing? They're, what are they doing over there? Their own game. Yeah. Yeah. And so. they, I think that's the the stepping out of that was able to look back. At, you had that your time in Valencia. Yeah. I was in Marseille. And you kind of look back at the madness. I, yeah. I was forced out by that ban from the from yeah. the Aguero incidents in the City games. So I kind of had popped up. Yeah. Luckily, at a good club, a big club in France, yeah. you know, fourteen million fans, and I was able to look back at England through yeah. being outside of the yeah. like circle. I wasn't allowed in to play yet, yeah. really, and I, I look back and I was like, "Wow, that's that's nuts what they're doing." So I'd seen the infrastructure of their club out set yeah. up to be sustainable based on they didn't have mm. the TV revenue from around the world. I, I remember going out to Valencia and I was like, "Wow, you're top of the world." Everything you seemed to touch, you had that Midas yeah. kind of touch. Everything turned into gold. You did, you know, you, the, the Monday night football's huge success. Yeah. Everybody's going. I'm watching it, going. He's got to get a job at some point. He's that yeah. good, you know what you're talking about. Which I think was you're saying you got offered jobs. Yeah. It was the general consensus. I'm not blowing smoke yeah. up your ass. I'm, you know, yeah. it's not my way. And I remember you going out, and I because I'd played abroad. I remember going very vocal, would talk all the yeah. time land in the dressing room and can't speak the language and I'm like yeah. wow I, I, I felt disabled in yeah. terms of I couldn't yeah. communicate it actually helped me as a player because it was kind of put up or shut up moment for me mm. so I had to shut up because I couldn't yeah. speak the language so I just had to put up on the training ground and earn the respect that way whereas a coach and manager you've yeah. got to try and get your your thoughts and your feelings across you you can't yeah. you know Gary Neville as the player would have pulled on his boots and made, made a success no doubt as a mm. player at Valencia but obviously having the language barrier. Firstly, was that a huge problem? Yeah, I, look, it wasn't the only problem. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a good job that you took in terms of it was a dressing room that you had to turn around. So it wasn't like you yeah, got I mean, into it, a winning culture. It, I knew it was difficult and I knew that there were problems in the dressing room. Uh, but I knew all, all the things that, to be fair, people say, oh, but you had a difficult dressing room, you didn't know the language. There wasn't anything that, to be fair, I didn't know about before I went. There wasn't anything I didn't know about before. I went. Yeah, there are a few things that happened that are always behind the scenes, which to be fair, if you came out with now, would always look like excuses. I would mm. never give excuses for what happened at Valencia. One, I found out about it three days, four days before I went. Mm. Um, and so it was, I, I, I'm just fascinated as a young coach, yeah. someone who wants to go on a coaching journey. And yeah. I'm like, right, what I, can you learn from that? Because uh, I, I could end up me, getting for, a job in Marseille's academy. You know, that, that, yeah. like, that's where I see it. I'm like, that so could be a legitimate From my point of view... Um, I made two or three big mistakes, big mistakes. If, if you're going over to a foreign country, you're right, I can't speak the language. So one thing I want to say about knowledge of football, the most knowledgeable people about football from a tactical point of view don't have to necessarily mean the best coach mm. or manager as well. You know, you can have great knowledge of football and still be a poor manager or vice versa. Your knowledge of football might not be as good as, but you might be a great people person, you might be a great communicator, communicator or a coach on the training pitch. That's number one. But I think from my point of view, going over there... Uh, I went over there under a remit, really. The, the, the owner wanted to get to the end of the season. He didn't want a new manager coming in with all that that would bring in terms of, you know, getting rid of seven players halfway through a season, bringing for 10 staff in, mm. that overhaul. That, to be fair, other clubs in the last few weeks have had that decision here to make in terms of... Some have got that, it to make. Yeah, to make, where you think, it's a big overhaul that during the season. So he wanted just basically me just to sort of steer the ship to the end of the season. That that was the that was the remit. And I thought, well, what an opportunity this is for me. My Sky contract's running out in five months. My England contract's running out I in five months. I knew there was months. an angle, would you? No, no my, my, everything was running out. I was running yeah. everything down so you, like, to make a decision yeah, yeah. of where am I going. So I thought also, I'd sat on television and talked about British managers not getting a chance. This was a top four club in Spain, mm. Valencia. But to not take over dual language, experienced 
coaches with me. You know, me and Phil, Phil was fine because he was over there and he was an introduction into the dressing room for me. Okay. I knew him. But actually not to bring in then two really experienced. See, when, when it happened, I, I did my badges and, um, in Ireland and Mendieta, guys, guys yeah. from Mendieta did it with me. Yeah. So when I seen it and I thought he does, he was doing yeah. the Spanish show with Guillaume yeah. on Sky and I thought... Here's a win. He's a legend in Valencia. Yeah, he speaks yeah. the language. He's not a threat. I, I, he wants a coach. So I should have taken over a friend of the fans, a media, locals, and I should have taken over a grey-haired, n- been around the block, knows every single player, knows every single away ground, can, 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 com- <laughs> <laughs> can communicate on the pitch to the players in the right language, would make sure that ultimately my back was protected in terms mm. of the referees and everything that you know when you go into a different country. And I didn't do, I brought in um, Angulo from the youth team. He's a great bloke. They, what I said before, too many young ones together mm. is not what you want. Too many old ones together is not what you want. Mm. There's that balance. And the, and the fitness coach I brought up from the youth team as well. So basically there was four of us that were there that were all 40 or under. Yeah. Two of us didn't speak Spanish and we were, the, if you like, the main two people mm. we're looking at. So that was the biggest, that was a big mistake I made, not having the sort of right team. He talked about Sir Alex before delegating. He always had great people around him. He always had great coaches so, with great, him, didn't he? They had the right people, not yeah. great people, well, the right, but I had great people. They were really good people, the people I had with me, but the right people who knew what to do. The second thing was within a couple of weeks, a couple of the players, senior ones, said that they wanted to leave, that it wasn't working for them at the club. And I should have got rid of them then. I should have got rid of them then at that point. At that point and I, and I, I dillied and I waited thinking I could turn them round, I could affect them, I could change them. But they had big influence in the changing room and I should have said, no, go. Um, See, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about that and I'm like, okay. So I was talking to um, Warren Gatland yesterday, the yeah. Wales Rugby Union coach, and I'm talking to him about football and mm. how you get young players because he's got a few players now he's, he's yeah. bedding in maybe for the next cycle of World Cup, how they bed them in in rugby because mm. football environment and coming in and playing yeah. a flanker for your first game where you're 105 kilo, you've got to be 115 and you're yeah. just getting obliterated. Yeah. And they play the All Blacks at the I'm like, how do you yeah. throw him in? He's like, look, we just got to stress him, see how he gets in. And we were talking about how football like works with failure. He said in rugby, it's like, okay, that didn't work there. You take yeah. it, learn your lessons and you move on to the next yeah, yeah. thing. And he said, because of the scrutiny on your game. Oh yeah, you think, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm looking at you there going, actually, do you know what? You, sh- you, you go have the yeah. balls, in my opinion, to take that job. You know, I go to yeah. Rangers with balls and yeah. ego. You know, I'm top of the world. Yeah. Won the league at Burnley. I'll show yeah. all these how to do this. I'll put Rangers <laughs> back on the map. Knackered because people don't realise how much you care. Mm. I'm just telling them what I know. And, and mm. people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. So to do that in a foreign country, I went. You got huge respect for me. You had it anyway, but huge yeah. respect for me for going and trying it. And I'm looking at it going, right, you're going to come back. It's going to be a period. And then you're going to get back on the horse and go again because I think there's very, very few football. I didn't want to get on the horse in the first place, though. I, I would have only gone for Peter, okay. to be fair. Now, I went for Peter, and to be fair, that's that's the... That's so it was never an ambition as young, no, I, a young, or I, as you're on your exercise. I, love, I love what I'm doing in the businesses side. I love the, the sport and business side of Salford and sort of growing. I, I love what I'm doing. And the, I do like the media side as well. But I turned down jobs, and I just look at this... What, what happened in Valencia and the mistakes I made, I never look at the players and think, I should have done more, they should have done more for me or they should have done this for me. And the third mistake I made was around the Cups. And this is not an excuse, but from the moment I arrived, so we had a Christmas break within three games of me arriving. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And then on the, from, the January I got, from the January I got back till I think it was, I can't remember it was when I, when I left, it was my, my, end of March. 
We didn't have one free week. We had a game every midweek and every weekend. And I remember the owner saying to me about January, when the, the leagues, we were doing all right in the cup, believe it or not, we were doing all right in the cups up until Barcelona later on. Mm. We, were in, we were in the Copa del Rey, we are in the Europa League. And he said, you need to get out of the cups because the league's going to be the one that kills you. All right. You need to prioritise the league. Problem was we kept winning in the cups. The players wanted to win in the cups. They wanted to, they wanted the trophy. So we kept winning in the cups. And I should have played a really weak inside in the Copa del Rey earlier on and got knocked out. And I should have been brutal around it and clinical around it. It's so like sometimes, play, you know, you think about the, sometimes the Carabao Cup over here, managers get out, they clean it up and they just say, right, I'm going to go on. And I never had any time on the training pitch with the players at because all. It, yeah. We were just literally, we were playing, game, game, recovering, game, game. game. And if you look at the, if you look at from January... You never played in the championship, that's the champion. <laughs> yeah, but it went from January through to, through to uh, March, but they were knackered, the players as well. The, the players, because we were getting battered in the media and they never had time just to sort of step off the horse. I'd give them three days off and say, right, let's clear our heads. We never, we, we every single day, I think we had like four days off in like three. It was ridiculous. And that was my so big emotionally mistake. emotionally they drained as well. Yeah, and I was knackered and, and I, because it was like, dra- I, I was doing a press conference. I worked out, I did. You never did any in the, in the sp- Spanish-English language like I, no. like I did in France? <laughs> no. no, I worked out, I think I did. 45 press conferences in something like 85 days or 100 days. And so I was having to go and face them every two days. There's nowhere to hide. And they're gunning for you because you're oh, an Englishman, they, but, yeah. And do you always we talk about English press being brutal? They, yeah. they ask the proper questions. Ruthless, yeah. The ruthless yeah. questions. So not going our out... Pre, our press are very gentle they compared are to the gentle, press, I yeah, think. Yeah, So the three big mistakes I made was not... Not not taking the right people with me in terms of experience to help the young ones that were, that, that, that were mm. with me, not being clinical enough with the three or four players I should have been in the early days, and then not getting out the cups to clean up the weeks to allow ourselves some breathing space to get the league right. Because as soon as we prioritising, yeah, yeah. prioritising, making sure you know you're trying to be a jack of all trades and you're mastering none, and that's yeah. what was happening. In, we were in every competition. And then well, we it's the Jack Welsh from the, the General Electric, isn't it? He goes into the business straight away and he's like, right, what? which ones are turning us over? Which ones are losing money, right? And he just cuts off yeah. everything that and, and focuses all his... But it's helped me since in my businesses because now I'm just clinical. Yeah. I'm just like, boom, that's not working. Boom, it's not, it's not working. And I'm far more clinical. I'm far more experienced in what I'm doing now. So it's made you better. It's made me yeah. a lot better. And, you know, you come back and you hear, you know, you see all the sort of the sort of the noise that's that's there, you know, your damaged goods, mm. it's a failure. How can you go back on television? And I, 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 I didn't. Must even, have been tough, that. Generally, it wasn't. I didn't even break stride. But you've won all your life. That, that that's the thing. I, when I looked at it, I was like, you're so used to winning, so used to being it. Even if you fail at Man United, yeah. you're failing I, small. Look, you're finishing was, third or fourth. It was the most scrutiny that I'd ever been put under individually. But actually, I thought I like this. I lost my confidence when I was 25, 26. I'd split up with a girlfriend who I'd been with for seven years. I had a bad time. No one will ever know this, but mm. I, in my own mind, I was having a bad time. I'd made the mistakes against Vasco da Gama in the World Club Championships where I'd given Mario and Edmundo a tapping and we got knocked out in Brazil. I was having a bad time for six months. Me and my brother got battered in Euro 2000 in Belgium and Holland. We didn't play well. Phil gave the penalty away. Yeah. I got the back end of that stick as well. And for six, seven months, I lost my confidence. But off the back of that, I remember seeing a psychologist for a few months at that time. First time I probably ever said that. And I remember off the back of that sort of those sessions with the psychologist, with my coaches at United, I've never once since been affected by a word that somebody said to me and let it carry over.
the one thing that disappoints me most is not the fact that I didn't succeed in Valencia, is that if I'd have won 10 matches, got got them up to 7th or 8th mm. in the league, English coaching's perception would have gone up immeasurably. There would have been a light there for other English coaches yeah, but to that's follow. not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility, but you know, at the time I was an England coach, I do think a lot about English coaching, English football, and the idea I had that opportunity to potentially just change that perception abroad and take... English coaches mm. don't necessarily go abroad. English players don't go abroad. So the idea that we're not open-minded, the idea that I was open-minded mm. to go there, was willing to move my family over, willing to go to new schools, learn the language four times a week, which is what I was doing, yeah, speak Spanish potentially, and if I was there long enough, win games, a, a big club in Spain, it would have unlocked a lot yeah. of opportunities for yeah. other English coaches. I'm disappointed that that didn't happen generally. that was That's the one thing I sometimes think about. It would have unlocked a lot, but it didn't do, and that's reality yeah, but I, life. I, then I still think it's the, it's the duty on, on all of us no, it is. on but, all of us because if I you to, go through and do well uh, and then it, they would have because yeah. I know the mindset of, uh, on the but continent would, they would have gone oh he's the exception to the rule no, rather than the rule maybe but it would have also maybe given other Eng uh, Spanish French German clubs the idea that oh actually there is some good young English coaches well, McLaren had gone out before you yeah, had gone had. out and done well at 20 and then yeah. struggled you know at Wolfsburg yeah. there's been coaches go out to the continent I mean not enough of them we no. don't go that way and it's mainly no. because it's it's a financial issue it is a financial issue Why? it's cheaper to bring in and, and also to bring in foreign players yeah. it's, that, that's clearly why it is if, if, if our yeah. league was like Portugal or like Holland with, yeah. where they were development and selling leagues our players and our yeah. coaches no doubt at some point would go out yeah. because we would we wouldn't have the the bottleneck now to get a job or yeah. to get in the first team but as a player. I I know that I know that what the players were the young players were earning at Valencia. I know what the coaches were earning, and you look at what sort of what the Premier League wages and Premier League managers and man it's just a different world over it. Hmm. I mean, obviously you've got Real Madrid, and Barcelona, which are freaks over there. But, but, but it keeps you like I was talking to uh, Sean Edwards yesterday, who, who the guy who gave me the invite to yeah. uh, rugby league, yeah. known from Wigan. And he was talking about in rugby union and then the age of professionalism coming into yeah. rugby union. And he was saying to me, he said, I had a broken cheekbone at 18. I had to play the next week. Yeah. I said, why? Like, he wants it. And he went, no, 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 because if I didn't, I didn't get paid and I couldn't yeah. give my mum the money I wanted to give her to buy a new settee. <laughs> yeah. He said, so hunger, that hunger yeah. was what made you turn up. That hunger. So we've got a lot of lads now because of the strength of the Premier League yeah. who come to the end of the careers. Don't really have to work. I'm not I, saying that's a good I, thing. I, I, I was speaking, believe it or not, on the way in this morning to a guy I know at a club up in Scotland who was looking to get a young player. Oh, from... You're not going for the Rangers, Joe. No, are you? No, no, don't no. take it. Man. No, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> he was going for a young player. He wanted a young player on loan from down here, but he was on thirty grand a week and they couldn't afford him on loan. Hmm. A young player. Hmm. He's not even the first team. He's like, whoa. You've got and I've, I've lost you know last few years I've lost a little bit in touch That's with the enough. wages it's, I can't believe it. I was like what well, he can't be on that he is he's on that I'm like gee but, but it's well, but then it's, it's on a scale up. That's the only yeah. way you can go. But that's 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 where it is. It's, it's an the market, race, you know. Yeah, it's, it's an arms race. It's the, it, yeah, it's the market. It's where it is. And I'm not having a go at the young lads yeah. being on that money. I'm just saying it's. I thought, oh, that's a surprise. You've, you've it, got it clubs me now. Who, who were low. Remember, you'd see you saying Beckham there famously went on yeah. home to Preston. Premier League clubs now are charging Championship clubs and League One clubs a fee. Yeah, loan fee. Yeah, of you know. Some are charging up to half a million to take yeah. a player on loan. Well, I'm like, hang on, if you're trying to develop a player yeah. and you want to expose them, maybe not to yeah. Premier League football, but a level that helps. I, I can understand it if that player then got you promoted. Let's say, he's, let's say you got, you know, United lent 
I don't know, Preston two yeah. players. And they said, look, if you get promoted, there's a bonus. And those players do play so many or, games. Or, if, or they do I what Chelsea that. are doing where they say, if he doesn't play, you have to pay us. And if he does yeah. play, like Barca, yeah. they did. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But I don't get, oh, well, that's a flat fee for him. Because we, we've got to develop talent. What's your favourite personal win? My making my debut for United, because it gave me the belief... But, up, but the Champions League in 99, the final. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I remember watching that and I, went, I was an Evertonian. I was like, <laughs> we in the end, no, I want you to win in the end. Yeah. I, I remember, was it Bassler who hit the post and yeah, yeah. the onslaught? And I thought, I and know, then yeah. the, they could have been three up. Incredible. And what a great Bayern Munich side just beat yeah. there. We, we were laughing last night because I said about Liverpool, everyone goes, Liverpool was the jammiest cuff. And I yeah. went, people forget, man, you, they were dead and buried. And then one down, into extra time, three minutes. But without, ago. without. Against Keane, Bayern Munich as without well. Keen, I know. And who Scholes. was incredible in the yeah. in the semi final. Remember watching that on ITV myself. Yeah. Like wow, and Scholes, yeah. Yeah. But he came in. Never, yeah. never let, let anyone ever forget that he turned <laughs> in an incredible performance. He Even did. when he had a stinker in training, he revert back to the new camp. He did. He was brilliant. <laughs> no better personal win than that, mate. And what lessons did you take from those wins? From that, the win in the new camp. When I reflect on it now. Were we ever the same again in that next two seasons, or did we just just drop a touch? We won the league four years of it. Yeah, we dropped a touch. So the next year we won the league. The year after we won the league, we won the league three years on the bounce. So you couldn't say it was total failure, but we just dropped a touch. Leading up to ninety nine, from ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, we were always on the rise, and that team was getting better and better, and hunger and hunger and nearer and nearer. And it got there, but when it got there, it should have won again and again in the European Cup. Mm. And that's the one thing that I would say, if I was say personal win, did we retain that same... And did the club at the yeah. time, maybe the club should have maybe invested in players at the time to make us even make better again. Yeah. So we never signed a player after we won the treble. We signed one. Mark Bosnich came in for Peter because Peter left. Um, big, big so change a there. big loss, obviously. And then you know, Bosnich came in. We won the league yeah. the year after. And you'd say, well, that's maintaining success. And you, it, But just did we just drop a touch? Well, Phil Jackson talks about that in his book. He talks yeah. about winning the first NBA title and yeah. everybody had given everything to win yeah. that title. He said, and then the next year didn't get to the same heights. Yeah. He said, and I realised that the disease of yeah. success had yeah. set in. For some people, yeah. one NBA title, one European yeah. Cup was enough. Yeah. Whereas there was other people, he said, and I had to get rid of them because yeah, they were, yeah. they were infe- you know, infecting the group with it. And you talk about one percent, sometimes you don't even notice it. And you're about reflection, mm. were we as... You know, you've lost that hunger because you've you've achieved yeah, just, what's the holy grail for yeah. us to win the European Cup. We're still at a high standard. We win yeah. we won the league by about fifteen points yeah. in the season after I think, and the year after we won it easily again. But then we needed to we needed to not win the league for three years as a club to then get back to winning the winning the Champions League again in two thousand eight, where you know Ronaldo and Rooney then came through. So it was a different team, mm. but you have to. You know, that's where Strelitz had to rebuild it. Mm. So he dismantled the team that he felt was. The 1919 was dismantled within three or four years and then built back up again. But was, th- was that evident that he was doing that or did with the ruthlessness of yeah. cutting out the big players? Yeah, and- because over a period of five, six years, you know, Dennis left, um, Rude left, Roy left, Peter left, Yorkie left, Coley left. You know, it was there, it was happening before. Mm. Bex, Bex left, that was a big one. Yapstam. That was at Yapstam. These were big ones. These were big players, you know. You know, Bex, Yap, Roy, Rue, you know, they were big players, these lads. Iconic players. Yeah, yeah they were iconic, but they were big, big players. So there was a rebuild over six, seven years to get to a new team that had, I mean, it was an outstanding team, that, that one, you know, Tevez, Rooney, Ronaldo yeah. up front was 
unbelievable. Yeah, I mean it, that that was his skill, wasn't it? To build to, to build one yeah. great teams hard enough, yeah. and to do it what three, four times. Yeah, which you end up doing it, that sort of marrying of loyalty. Yeah, being clinical. Yeah. And you think about Alex Ferguson, people are like, oh, he had stability. He had all the same players in the dressing room for 20 years, but he also made some real clinical decisions along the way. That, mm. Boom, you're gone. Boom, you're gone. See, yeah. well, I always thought with Fergie, is I, like, you see the American coach instruction, it's kind of great coaches, kind of, like, like a, I always see it as a, like, if you're a father, you want your kids to be a better version of you. Yeah. Maybe have some of your strengths, but less, a lot less yeah. of your weaknesses. And I always, in the, in the American coaching structure, I always felt that that was, you know, whether it be Bill Parcells to Bill Belichick, who, Tom Coughlin, who all worked under them and that kind of linear uh, growth as a, as a coach. And one of the things that struck me about Fergie was I always think the players who've come out from him have never been as good a coach as him. I mean, firstly, no. it, it's, it's, it's hard to be as good no. as Alex Ferguson. No. Um, but, but Shankly did, if you ever remember, yeah. Shankly left Liverpool and Bob Paisley kind of took yeah, the mantle yeah. on where Fergie left Old Trafford. Yeah. And unfortunately, David Moyes, yeah. he, he just couldn't. No. Like coaching lessons, obviously working for him, you think you pick up stuff by osmosis just because he's a great manager, mm. a great leader, a great presence. But actually was the fact that he was a great manager, a great leader and a great presence sometimes a hindrance to as to what he would let you into and what you could learn from. It could be, but also you sort of you're watching what he's doing, but you don't know the thinking behind it. You remember as a player, I mean, as much as obviously mm. like you know we got on with him, he communicated with us. He wasn't telling us why he was picking a team mm. or why he was getting rid of someone or why he was signing someone. So all the thinking that goes behind that decision, we saw him make that decision, mm. but the thinking behind it in terms of why he did it, only he had that in his mind. He didn't share that with us. So if, for instance, he was getting rid of say Yap Stam. It share with us intimately the reason being the reason behind it, or if David was leaving, didn't share with us why he thought it was the right time. He just that's his He's done it, yeah. yeah. And I suppose that's the thing about decision making. You know when to make the call, when to sort of get somebody out, when to bring somebody in. See, I, I think he was incredibly smart in terms of the, the fact that he knew his strengths. And I remember reading about his conversation with Archie Knox, where Archie says to him, hey, you need to stand over there and stop doing the coaching. I'll do that. Yeah. You can observe it. And then he was always very good at bringing in a great assistant Assist- manager yeah, great. who could coach that and letting them do it. I think that helped. That was a big help in reinventing him over the 20 years as well. But he was ruthless yep. with them as well. Yeah, he, he was. So Archie to Kiddo to... Steve McLaren. Steve McLaren to Jim Ryan to Rennie Moonstein, Carlos Kiros, Mike Field. You know, the, there was always every three years, four years, a new coach. So they all... Because to be freshen, fair... The freshener up. Freshen them yeah. up. But to be fair, most of them wanted to go on being their own manager. So basically, he, he was happy, but, but he was happy for them to leave yeah. as well. So I think because he knew that he would then get that sort of... You no, know, no one ever got... No one ever felt stale because yeah. actually there's always a new voice. Yeah. It wasn't if it's the same two guys for 20 years. So we almost had like... Carlos Keros was a manager. Steve yeah. McLaren was a manager. Brian Kidd became a manager. Randy Millenstein became a manager. Whether they were all successful or not, so the matter. But we had, they had, he actually had like managers underneath him as well, really. They were... Yeah. It's, it's the same thing that happens in the NFL. They come and work as an offensive coordinator, yeah. defensive coordinator, and then they'll go and, and they'll take go a big up, job. Yeah. But, but what I always f- struggle to understand and still do is why he never took Bruce Pallister, mm. you know, his ex Irwin, his ex players, no. in. Why he didn't take them in? I don't know. Yeah, because you would think he would. Yeah, like yourselves, let like, them fly the nest. You just let yeah. them fly the nest. Well, I would think actually, as as a father, yeah, which he was in many ways, he is, yeah. I suppose, take them in explain them why he does the decisions and then allow them to go on. Yeah, but then I think if you think about that now, just logically, 
He wanted the best coach that he could possibly get mm. underneath him at Manchester United. Yeah, but you could take someone one one of your you, own in. You, I mean, he did with Mike Feeling. I well, suppose Mike Feeling was there underneath him. But if you think maybe about... Maybe kiddo a little bit. Yeah, kiddo a little bit. But actually, that that player who just finished for him at 35, 36, who'd never coached a session in his life, wouldn't meet the criteria of being the best in the, in the business to be underneath him. Gary, we finish each podcast with a series of quickfire questions. Um, so what is your idea of happiness? Waking up every day and looking forward to it. What is your idea of misery? What gets you down? Interesting, that. Mm. Let me come back to that. All right. Which person do you admire the most and why do you admire them? You can't say you misses the score by no. any points. <laughs> no, and if I, if, I, if I did, she'd say you're a liar. Um person do I admire most? My mum. Why do you admire them? It's self, uh, self-evident. Because just complete commitment to us. Complete commitment. What is your favourite book and why is it your favourite? The one that got away by Chris Ryan, which was the story of the SAS soldier in Iraq who walked across the desert to escape and he was the only one out of his crew that made it all the way across, I think. What is your favourite film and why? I do like the the real war films. What was it, the, 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 the sniper one? Was it the American Sniper? That yeah. one? Was that, was that a true story? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. yeah. I'll you go for that. getting killed at the end of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bradley Cooper? Yeah. Yeah, all right, fair yeah. enough. Go for that. Uh, what is your favourite song, piece of music? Favourite song is I'll Go Waterfall by Stone Roses. Good tune. Waterfall by Stone Roses, <laughs> not Waterfall by Stone Roses. <laughs> it's a Manchester act, yeah. <laughs> uh, What is your favourite meal? Are you a good cook? I'm not a good cook. My favourite meal, do you know my favourite food at the moment is Spanish. I haven't been over there. I used to like Italian wine and Italian food, but since I've come back, Spanish food and Spanish wine. Yeah. Fantasy dinner party. Six people, including yourself. Past, present, dead or alive? I'll go for Duncan Edwards. I'll go for Churchill. I'll go for... That's Winston Churchill. Yeah, Winston Churchill. No, no. I'll go for Henry VIII. I'll go for Smart Busby. I'll go for All right. John Lennon. Oof. Should I have invited a scouser? That'll go down well. <laughs> uh, last but not least, uh, what is your favourite quote? Since I came back from Valencia, I have it on my screensaver on my iPad. And it's failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. Gary Neville. Misery. What's my side of misery? What's it would have been, yeah, I tell yeah, you, yeah, misery. Back, yeah. If you just asked me five years ago, I would have said being on Monday Night Football with Carragher. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go with that. You're getting quite close now, aren't you? You've, you've overcome that Liverpool, Manchester. We get on well professionally. We don't go out for a drink or anything like that, but we get, you know, we get on well professionally. It's a healthy rivalry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, it's good. Yeah. It makes good TV. <laughs> So, Gary, listen, Cheers. thanks for your time. Fully enjoyed that, mate. Thanks um, very much. Thank you. Thanks Cheers. a lot. Thank Good you. To see you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again to Gary there for joining me on The Edge. Very candid reflection on his time in Valencia, what he could have done better, and also an insight into the coaching levels and the discipline of Sir Alex Ferguson, arguably the greatest coach that's been on these shores in in modern memory. So thanks to Gary for that. If you want to hear more from my conversation with Gary, you can find some exclusive extra bits over at Deezer.com or via the Deezer app. I'll be back next week where I'll be joined by Dr Kevin Dutton, a research psychologist at the University of Oxford. He's a leading author and expert on psychopaths. It's a truly fascinating conversation. Don't miss it. Until then... From me, Joey Barton, goodbye.
Originals. <lacht>